Hello and welcome to the Challenging University podcast with me, your host, Tony Kent. Now, how do you cope with school when you're neurodivergent? And what do you do when your child is neurodivergent, but you can no longer afford to send them to a school that gives them the support that they need? This episode's guest is Kirsten Coftree. She is the founder and innovation architect of Gaia Learning, an award-winning online school for neurodivergent thinkers. Gaia was born out of Kirsten's own experiences of the education system as a pupil, teacher, and parent of a child with additional needs. In our conversation, we discuss how Kirsten moved to a new system of schooling in the UK aged 11, taught herself to learn in a way that allowed her to make friends and please teachers, something she now understands for signs of her own ADHD, discovered why many parents of children with ADHD and autism choose private schooling, found herself in the position of creating an online school that was one of the first to be registered as a Cambridge International School and is recognised as alternative provision, and believes that we can reimagine schooling in line with Gaia principles. Let's go. Hi, Kirsten. Hello, so nice to see you again. And thank you. We're both taking time out of the summer holidays, though we don't get to have a holiday, do you, when you're a working parent? (laughs) No, in fact, it's harder work, isn't it, when you've got all the other things to juggle. I've just thrown some sausages and chips and things in the oven and (laughs) they're (laughs) sorting themselves out. Excellent. Okay, so we met when I came across you through a a feature called Woman of the Week that a a company called Leader Market does. And I thought, oh my goodness, I have to have to have to have you on the podcast. So I know a bit about you, but some of the listeners may not. So for the listeners today and the listeners to come, could you please share your full name and what it is that you do today? Uh, thank you. My name is Kirsten Coftry, and I am the founder and the chief innovation architect for Gaia Learning, uh, an online school that specializes in helping neurodivergent children thrive in their education. Fantastic. Um, I'm so glad to have you on the Challenging University podcast because um, regular listeners will know that lots of the guests that come on uh, did not go to uni and the other guests that come on run organizations which help people to access either careers or education paths who may not be able to go through the standard school college uni route and you kind of fit into that second camp with Gaia Learning. Yeah, definitely. We have a lot of our students who are not only neurodivergent, but um, come to us through the alternative education provision uh, market um, where schools use us to help improve their their learners' attendance and also their outcomes when they find it difficult to get into traditional school environments. Um, we support them to, in some cases, help learners back into a traditional um, setting. But for some of them, um, learning online in a more flexible, personalized way is something that really works for them and they stay with us full time and um, long term. So, Fantastic. I'm very excited to get into kind of the details of this. Let's um, 
before we get right into what Guy is all about and how you come to set it up, tell me a little bit about your experiences of education. What was secondary school like for you? So I um, I started secondary school um, as a, a newly arrived South African um, in the UK when I was 11. Um, so that was quite a challenging time um, to move countries and uh, establish myself in a new education system fresh with a much thicker South African accent than I think I now have and um, bringing with me lots of ideas about well a different kind of schooling or attitude to schooling than that that I found when I arrived here so you know for a lot of students that we support now the transition to secondary school can be traumatic anyway <laughs> um, but I found that very intensely so um, I'd been at what well, was one of the probably the best schools in um, in South Africa that was an all-girls school I wore my uniform correctly <laughs> it was very strict <laughs> and um, there's also a difference in the school year but it's a January to December um, in South Africa so moving into the sort of September I'd come part way so I actually hadn't finished my junior school by the time I was oh. sort of thrown into secondary school yeah but saying that the because the education system was different I was actually ahead of my peers here in the UK so mm. added to me with a different accent and a, a uniform that actually you know a skirt that went down to my knees and a, a tie <laughs> that was all the way down to my belly button yeah um, I was then put up a year so I skipped year seven um, and went into year eight so my initial experience wow. of secondary school was one of being horrifically bullied mm. and uh, I absolutely um, initially hated it mm. so that that wasn't uh, that wasn't so positive but it ended up being very positive because I really it was a sink or swim um, situation and I had to get a little bit more worldly wise quite quickly um, mm. and defend all those comments about uh, students saying things like you know did you kill your supper and did you live in a wow. tent and wow. why aren't you black and yeah. just those sorts of misconceptions or uh, ideas that you know you don't think of or I didn't think of when I came to England that those uh, very regressive sort of racist ideas would have affected me as um, a white middle-class girl. Yeah. <laughs> that I, I then actually moved in, uh, moved schools because it was so bad and it was really badly affecting my mental health and my well-being. Yeah. Um, and so I moved into a smaller school where I really did thrive. Um, yeah. I found my niche and yeah. I had a lot a lot more confidence then in myself in realizing that I could teach myself how to learn in a way that uh, helped me to make friends and also please the adults around me now all of that I now understand a lot better in retrospect 
yeah. having had a recent ADHD diagnosis. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of talk about that now in the media and certainly on LinkedIn, where more older females are being yeah. diagnosed. So yeah. now I'm able to look back at my secondary and my primary school and realize that you know even school reports that staring out the window or not or not um, paying attention or she could do better if she tried all yeah. of that was uh, or we now are far better at understanding that those are symptoms of ADHD in girls mm -hmm. um, that aren't the typical things that we see in boys but I yeah. think it really really made my schooling a lot more challenging and traumatic than it should have been or could have been yeah um so I'm intrigued yeah. by something you said there actually about how you could how you taught yourself to learn in a way that you get to have friends and and please the teachers um what was that how did that work for you so something that I really struggled with was to sit still in class and focus on what the teacher was saying and that the way of schooling then starting to sound really old <laughs> I don't know what do you next year um, but I feel like you know it's like whenever you go on to sites these days and have to put in your birth date and you have to scroll yeah, really yeah, far and getting, mm -hmm. getting that bit yeah I feel like I'm saying oh in the olden days you know when we had to sit still and copy things off the board but yeah. saying that I I now have three of my own children and a lot of those techniques of teaching are still pervasive in schools yeah. these days and it is still just as hard for most kids to learn from yeah. copying off the board and yeah. so um, I, I missed a lot of like fundamental stuff in, mm -hmm. in lessons, but there were very good uh, revision books and things that um, I think my parents bought for me or I was able to borrow from school and realized that for a GCSE, you could actually just learn the information outside yeah. of class and whenever I did that it made me feel so much more confident um coming back into into lessons or having to do exams um yeah. I remember failing most of my GCSE mock exams yeah. uh, and that being a real wake-up call for me that I would either ace it or fail it I wasn't yeah. like a middling sort of student which is why teachers couldn't really understand me or you know they'd say she has you know she can do it or it, yeah I didn't understand what was going wrong but by the time I actually did the exams I I actually I really wanted to prove that I could and also in my first my mum at that point had been diagnosed with cancer um, mm -hmm. she was going through chemo in those final exam mm -hmm. that exam stage and I sort of thought that I needed to get really good grades for her. Yeah. Um, thankfully, uh, she came through it and she is still now healthy and, and yeah. recovered. But at that time, when I put my mind to it and I hyper-focused, I realized I could do it and I came out with straight A's and A stars. And that gave me a level of confidence that in my abilities, but it also 
weirdly made me feel like a total and utter imposter because I hadn't learned in the same way as everybody else. And I also immediately forgot all of the information that I had learned, <laughs> that, yeah. that I crammed for. So I didn't, I, I didn't even know if I had cheated somehow the system. Right. But I, I certainly knew that I had played the system and I had found the patterns or the loopholes in how, what questions were going to come up and how you answered them. So, mm. so I, I played the game, but I hated the system and I hated how it made me feel. And um, I lost a lot of weight doing it, um, the self-harming um, and it being a hugely traumatic experience. Yeah. And yet then coming out with, you know, one of the best grades in the school. I remember being interviewed for the local newspaper and like all this yeah. crazy stuff, but thinking, okay, well, that's great. That's rewarding but also deeply feeling like that surely there was another way for childhood to be. Wow. I mean, that's a huge amount of pressure to be placed under and to put yourself under. Goodness. Well, I think that was it. It was me putting myself under that pressure Mm. in, in one way, but also very much, um, you know, my parents having moved my brother and I to the UK for the opportunity for university for the best Uh, universities uh, and their goals for me very much being around you know their tick of success for parenthood (laughs) was getting me through the system and getting me a degree because then it's like I've done my job I've been a good parent wow wow um so having got your GCSEs out the way um what did you do next then? Did you think, oh, I'd like to do some more of this. Can I have some A-levels, please? <laughs> well, um, I I think I did. And I think there is a huge jump, isn't there, from GCSE to A-level. Yeah. Um, now, I think something that I did have that I taught myself was how to independently study, which is something yeah. that is really hard for students to go to that leap. So I knew I could do that bit. But then I remember choosing subjects that my parents very much wanted me to take. So choosing A-level maths was definitely not for me. Um, Mm. And having to give that up, I did eventually admit failure on that. I was having nightmares. And I think it was only when I was in my late 20s that I stopped having nightmares about maths exams. Wow. Um, So when I, I knew my favorite subject was geography uh, mm. I loved I loved travel and learning about the world and ironically being in South Africa I'd learned more about British history and the UK and still quite colonial even yeah though it's fairly recently I mean I only left in 96 and that was only just the end of apartheid um, yeah. and that whole thing so I think it's sometimes we forget how recently the world has begun to change and take on really big new ideas um so yeah I I think it it was just a a lot to 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 take in at a level and to realize that I should choose the things that I really want wanted to do um but it a-level burnt me out a lot. I 
wish I had taken a gap year. I wish I'd had some more time to think about what I really wanted out mm. of my studies because I knew I had the potential to really enjoy them. Yeah. But I felt like I was being pushed through a system. A sausage machine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so you did geography A level and so I ended you... up doing history, mm -hmm. geography. Um, I switched the maths to biology, which was very yeah. much better for me. Yeah. And uh, I also did German. Okay. Um, well, so again, not, you know, to take three, I think, I mean, to do three or four, four is a lot to do at A level. Yes. So I was in that year if you remember when they were experimenting for the first time with AS levels. Yes. So mm -hmm. that allowed, because I'd only switched the maths halfway through, my oh. biology was a was a half an A level or an AS level. Right. Okay. And what did you do with those A levels, AS level? Did you have a gap year? Did you have a year off? No, I did not. I... Um, <laughs> Yeah, my parents were very adamant that I go to university and I, because neither of my parents had gone to university, mm -hmm. they were happy with me doing, not doing anything at uni, but <laughs> I conceded that if I could do geography at university, then yeah. that would give me, you know, a broad range of skills. It's the humanities and the sciences. Yeah. And yeah. I did a, um, a BSc in geography mm -hmm. um, initially at, at Exeter University. Mm -hmm. um, but my other downfall was that I had um, fallen in love with my first boyfriend, who yeah. I had met at age 15, who yeah. then emigrated to Australia. So all I wanted to do was go to Australia. I, yeah. Um, and to keep my parents happy, I had to do this degree before I was allowed to leave <laughs> so oh, so yes. I ended up swapping from um or transferring from Exeter University to um to Southampton University mm -hmm. and saving all my money not engaging in university life at all because yeah. I just studied as hard as I possibly could yeah um and again, that's a big regret I have because lots of people talk about when you do go to university, it's one of the most amazing experiences and it's about growing up and having fun and finding yourself and all of that, which I don't think I necessarily took um, mm -hmm. part in as much as I could have. Wow. So no partying, no. <laughs> no, in fact... <laughs> Um, I, the, um, the last exam that I took, uh, the night before it, I went to see, uh, a, an artist in London play, um, it was Tori Amos for the record. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cornflake girl. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's right. Yeah. And, um, ended up getting back home at about three o'clock in the morning, having a couple of hours sleep and writing my final exam. Yeah. And I got the highest mark I'd ever gotten on an exam paper oh. at university, which sort of made me feel like, oh, for goodness sake, maybe if I just chill out and enjoy <laughs> and let my brain do its weird thing, then that's okay, rather than worrying so much about, about exams. Wow. Okay. So you get your degree. Do you go to Australia? 
what happened to yes so you I actually did? yeah I wow did, yes I came yeah. out with a first class degree in geography yeah. um mm-hmm. with honors or whatever and I left to go to Australia the day after my 21st birthday mm-hmm. um and what was so interesting upsetting <laughs> surprising was going to Australia and then saying look I like I've done everything I should have done right yeah. and I've got straight A's and I've got a first class degree and then getting my first job which uh the um company that I work for took a chance on me because I was on a working holiday visa mm-hmm. and so I could be paid very little and just sort of see where it went but they didn't understand or recognize my qualifications because in Australia their end of school exams are you come out with a number and they're although Southampton is a Russell Group University they didn't really know what that was about so I still found myself starting at the bottom and making tea and trying to prove my worth and my value Uh, and I think that for me and where I've ended up the being able to see globally the importance of education yeah being more about the people you meet the skills you learn and the guts you get inside you is way more than the transcript or the piece of paper that you kind of hold (laughs) yeah and do you know it's interesting just that your the points that you kind of raise there um because I've got a, a, a number of my friends are from South Africa and who talk about matriculation I think I don't know what that means yeah what does it mean, does it mean? so it's pretty what much your end of a levels that's right. what it is it's the end of school matric is your final your final exams so mm. unlike the UK where you kind of end at GCSE and then you end again at A level yeah. it's a you, go, you have to go all the way through and that and then you go to university uh-huh. but they've again they've had similar to you with your Australia experience they've done their education in South Africa come to the UK you know raising their families applying for jobs where the employers go we don't even know what this qualification is and having to take like really basic at maths and English exams yeah certain like, parts of the NHS and things like that and it just it I wonder if and I guess well, I probably know the answer to this but so you've gone through the UK process and did that as you say I went and got a degree I got a first class degree which should be the but then you go to Australia and they go well we don't know what that is I mean did you expect did you have any idea that that might happen? Um, well, no, but I was very excited to just be, you know, young and enthusiastic and finally free in Australia to yeah, start a career and see what I could do or was capable of. And, um, and actually very shortly into my career, um, the founder of the startup that I was working with had offered to sponsor me to do an MBA and (laughs) which actually kind of excited me because with that you have to use a real case study and um, because the company was a young startup it was a chance to use that and um and 
developed that company kind of in that space. And that also really inspired me because the way um, he was able to mentor and support young people in the, in a startup business. So I think mm. there was five graduates that he employed to do things. He knew that we were enthusiastic, <laughs> you were willing to work for no money, um, just loved being part of something big and exciting. Mm. And in fact, that's kind of how we started with Gaia, actually recruiting young, um, recently graduated, graduated, uh, or or students. We recruited some um, students through the Kickstart scheme, which is yeah. where, um, yeah, they're more vulnerable to not being uh, eligible for meaningful employment for whatever yeah. reason. And they've been the best way to kickstart a small company because yeah, it's just young, excited talent. And, um, but yeah, I, I think I was willing to start from the bottom. I think you, you are when you get into the big real world of work, mm. what was most surprising actually after that. And then I worked for Ernst and Young for a while before yeah. having my first child and then taking some time out of the workplace and then coming back to England and mm. having to start again, again. Yeah. <laughs> I then, although I had my maths and English GCSE to, yeah. I've retrained to be a teacher and that that's mm. another industry where you need, got to go back to your GCSE maths and English. Right. But, but in that instance, I didn't have the local work experience and local references. Yeah. So again, I had to start all the way back from the bottom. And to me, that's highlighted so much, you know, when they say gender inequality and mm. often people, you know, challenge that and say, no, you know, we've progressed so much and in the UK and there is so much more equality. And But I've seen even from a privileged starting point from, mm. you know, good schools and opportunities to travel that we're knocked back so much and so often in ways that the system doesn't account for. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, as just before we hit the court, talking Lizzie about I had seen Barbie last night, and there's plenty about that in it. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> but you kind of brought us neatly, actually, to you said you trained as a teacher. Um, how did, because we should talk about Gaia now, I think, how how did Gaia come to life? Which would be a uh, uh, given. You know, we spoke a little bit previously about Gaia theory, and let let's talk about that. How it came into being, what it means to you, and how your experiences have shaped this really special school that that you've created. Well, I think it went back to my initial love of geography. Like whenever I come back to you know who am I, what's really important, what my key values it is it is the planet the earth I don't think there's any point in education in doing it learning anything unless it is to learn how to live sustainably on our planet for the future of our children and um so Gaia learning uh, was inspired by the Gaia hypothesis which is an earth systems theory that suggests that the earth would, if left to its own devices, just naturally be in balance and harmony uh, yeah. with all of the 
organic and inorganic components of it, just self-regulating. So applied to education, where children and parents and teachers are educators have got control over their education. They've got agency. The whole system balances. I think we've gone wrong because of top-down government policy exams, yeah. the system that we play and oppress mm -hmm. children by to keep what is essentially this colonial factory, everybody yeah. around the world all learning the same thing for the same factory mm -hmm. jobs at the end of the day. If we can, so my inorganic component is technology. So using the internet, using online classrooms, um, global communities, we can give back that power to the children who are the ones in the system suffering through it or enjoying it or whatever to actually say what they need. And there is so much that, you know, look back to myself as an 11-year-old and I now have a 10, 12 and a 14-year-old. They are so acutely aware of what the issues are that the world is facing right now. And they are worried about climate. I took my kids to Greece last week and we were watching the news every day in the run up to it, whether it would be canceled because of the fires and mm. you come back to British summertime and it's you know, pouring with rain. <laughs> I think that's probably been a constant. But this, this climate anxiety that kids feel and worry about and then and then they're just being asked to repeat these increasingly meaningless exams and be funneled through as you said the sausage system and they are like I felt all those years ago their mental well-being is suffering hugely and this isn't just neurodivergent students it is everybody but neurodivergent kids are like the canaries in the mine who are actually mm. keeling over and saying I can't do this they are traumatized not going to school um in a lot of cases to the point of feeling suicidal we hear parents um you know having to take their kids out of school home educating not by choice but because it is the only thing they can see that they can do to support their kids through a crisis. And obviously this has all been exacerbated by COVID and it's not natural for teenagers and kids developing in a social, um, as a social species to have been locked away for all of that yeah. time. So we don't even know what the long-term effects are, but we can very, very clearly see, I speak to parents every single day where I can, anecdotally hear that this is a huge issue mm -hmm. um my my personal uh need and desire to create Gaia actually came before the pandemic when my youngest son couldn't wouldn't couldn't um thrive in school and it started from preschool where he'd just physically make himself sick being there to by the time he was in reception in year one um physically escaping the school grounds and running home uh to me he just couldn't 
thrive where there were so many kids, so many sensory inputs, so many instructions to do things. And I think a bit like me would mask so hard in the time that he was in school um, to, you know, the detriment of then coming home and just exploding with anger and rage and it was a very very difficult time and excruciating for me to see and mm -hmm. I remember doing the teacher as part of my teacher training finding out about ADHD and uh what the cure or the the way to solve it or help kids was to medicate them in order to be able to thrive in school and I remember being in this lecture theater and crying my eyes out and saying I can't I can't believe that in this time where now I'm a parent like the only way for me to help my kid feel good about himself at school would be to medicate him yeah um and so I looked for alternatives and he's very much more the classic ADHD boy profile that we think of uh, I often find him on the top of roofs or <laughs> trees or yeah. uh, just keeping him alive has been a challenge <laughs> but if he can meaningfully move his body and he's brilliant at any sport or like martial arts even ballet but mm -hmm. currently the thing is rugby and cricket but if he's made to sit still he just doesn't thrive so putting um I was able to get him into a um private independent school where the class sizes were only 12 he had plenty of opportunity to move around and um, play sport he was suddenly a hero and you know winning all these awards and doing brilliantly unfortunately in my I went through a quite a traumatic divorce uh, about four years ago and as part of that lost the ability to send him to that lovely school but I knew that he needed that. <laughs> so yeah. having, being able to have classes online where he could learn what he needed to learn, but then still have the time, the frequent breaks and the flexibility to be outside in the world, learning um, and playing sport. Well, then again, he was good again. But now my child is not good or bad. He's himself. Yeah. So the environment was so hugely important. Um, and over the last four years, we've recognized that the majority of the students that come to us have ADHD diagnoses or are autistic. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's not coincidence, but they do thrive where the learning is at their own pace. It's all around their interests that they can hyper-focus in on. And that you know gives parents that uh less anxiety because they know that they're not alone in having to support their children in giving them the best education is what every parent wants to be able to do we want to see our children thrive and be happy so and yeah and do you have um i know you you're quite a, a young i guess organization in in terms of the the split of boys and girls that that come to you are you noticing any patterns there or is it fairly balanced 
No, it's fairly balanced. Um, but what we are noticing is the highest demand is in that year six to year nine bracket. Mm -hmm. And especially um, the most popular group probably is the year eight. They've tried, like they've known the transition from primary to secondary is going to be yeah. traumatic for their kids because they know that their children are different and need something else. But primary mm -hmm. school is generally a lot more play-based and um, yeah. more active. Yeah. I think we kind of start to ruin that in year six with the focus on sats, sats, sats and yeah. you know, yeah. instilling that initial fear in kids about exams and making the school look good. I think that's a real shame at the end of primary school. Yeah. But then a lot of parents do try the year seven, um, mm -hmm. but that just comes with so many challenges for kids with new uniforms, hugely busy corridors, changing lessons every every yeah. time, changing in and out of uniforms several yeah. times a day for sometimes no apparent reason. Um, yeah. <laughs> and the knowing where to go, getting lost, uh, yeah. all of the extra things that come with secondary school. And that's generally where parents will come to us and say, I just help. And they often don't know that there is an alternative and right now we are the only alternative. We're the only online school specialising in supporting neurodivergent children um, for that very reason. And how does your kind of, because uh, I mean, everyone that has kids will have like terrible memories of online schooling because um, it was a, a farce. <laughs> uh, people did their best and I don't lay the blame at anyone's door but it was just I mean it was a farce um and I was you know fortunate that my children had their own devices they have space to learn um but it wasn't anything remotely approaching learning most of the time so how do you structure your offering so that it has that balance of what educators parents and pupils need yeah no exactly and I think as much as people say to me oh you know you were right right place right time setting up Gaia during COVID COVID did so much damage for online learning because yeah. it was done so badly mm. um we don't replicate school online it is and we have lots of kids transferring from traditional or these bigger online schools to us because they don't want death by PowerPoint. They don't <laughs> want hundreds of kids online and you know being on mute where the kids can just disengage. Um, yes. So we use uh, virtual classroom technology that is specifically designed to be interactive and to facilitate human-centered communication so mm -hmm. that we have those small classes that I always dreamt of for my yeah. son. Uh, and don't ever go beyond um, 12 students in a class. Mm -hmm. Being able to feel known and seen and heard in, in a classroom. So we're not, we're also not a tuition business where lots of different educators, you know, mm -hmm. uh, do the learning. We operate like a school where it's joined up. We know all of the students. Uh, we know all of, everything that's on their EHC um, plans, yeah. we take the time to get to know the parent and what they what they want and need 
and we support parents as well. Um, all of the lessons that we do are short because attention span, even like we know, and I think a lot of us learned through COVID that we have increasingly short attention spans to, to learn anyway, but kids don't need hour long lectures. They need short, interactive, um, active learning. So the, um, they are not sitting as passive recipients. They are engaged in uh, moving and manipulating um, objects and the and the lesson content on the screen. They can change the font sizes, the background colors that might help um, with yeah. dyslexia, for example. Yeah. They uh, our breakout rooms work differently to Zoom, so we can support kids <laughs> privately and they can have private communication with. Uh, the teacher to feel heard and check their understanding before they want to share their information with the group. Um, so that like reducing at every point that anxiety around learning. Uh, we have a flipped classroom so parents and students can see what learning and what lessons are coming up. And so you don't like I felt in a classroom where it's like, oh, we're learning trigonometry today, but yes. this is all big and this is new. And now my brain's gone blank and I'm not really taking it in. I'm going to close my eyes, hope nobody asks me any questions, and then I'll learn afterwards and come back to you. But by that time, the learnings move on and on. And okay. you didn't get to ask that question at the right time. So it's missed opportunities. Mm -hmm. And what we can do with technology now is check understanding so much more in the moment, respond to those learning opportunities as they arise, and you know, therefore not not miss them, and also not bore children in having to sit there when actually they have got that concept. But now let's move on. Otherwise, we all know how easy it is if you're not interested to just shut the laptop or walk away. Yeah. Or sorry, miss, I can't hear you uh, on mute. Yeah. <laughs> you know? How how do you um, train your teachers? This sounds like a very different way of of leading classes. Yes, uh, glad you asked. <laughs> We've recently launched actually the Gaia Academy, and earlier this year ran our first cohort of um, a course called How to Teach Inclusively Online, which was open to um, our own. Um, team but also anybody working with students in a digital environment or because we partner with schools often classroom room teachers need to have a better understanding of what is possible online mm -hmm. and what analytics and progress data we are able to collect on students so that we can work together and I think it is that demystifying and making it non-competitive between yeah. all stakeholders of a child's education so that we can reimagine not reinvent school so yeah. we're really innovating how it how it works online um and like you were saying the torture of online school during covid we don't have there is no need to print out extra resources. The classroom is accessed <laughs> in one click, in one browser. Yeah. There's, you know, it, it's take reducing that cognitive load for parents and students so that 
the best thing about and the way we know we're getting good is that as brilliant and futuristic as the tech is that we're using it's when it becomes invisible and the only thing that's left is communication human human face face face-to-face interaction is left that's when you know it's like it's working it's rebalancing and um there's so many questions i want to ask so you have and help me if i've got this right official school accredited status is that have i got that right so what has happened i think over the last four years is the whole concept of school is changing and governments and uh, ministries of education around the world are very quickly having to catch up to redefine and rework policies to work out what 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 is an online school and how does it operate? So we were one of the first online schools to be accredited by Cambridge International. So we offer the Cambridge International curriculum online, um, as do 10, over 10,000 other physical schools around the world, mm-hmm. um, and a growing but small number of online schools uh, are able to do that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we also work with local authorities here in England, where we are slowly making our way around the country to go through individual local authority accreditation processes, mm-hmm. which allow us to be listed as um, recognised alternative provision for students. Yeah. Uh, and that is really important because we want to showcase our safeguarding and our online security and our virtual classrooms because it is a very it you know that by its very nature because it can be global there are a lot of these schools popping up and people Mm -hmm. you know every now and then we're like oh there's a new one there's a new one but this for us is not a you know quick get rich quick scheme this is born out of that pain from parent teacher and child perspective and mother perspective on what can inclusive flexible learning look like that Mm -hmm. is future proof but is also future it was it's going to work for everybody around the world I want to really showcase how this can break down prejudices and misunderstandings between nations and for all our learning to be joined up in a way that we can celebrate it in digital portfolios whether we're working or starting our careers in Australia or South Africa or England or America wow I mean that's big stuff isn't it (laughs) yeah go big or go home (laughs) yeah but it's quite um well, like you say, if at what age do you support students until? Um, well, so we start from um, age eight and mm-hmm. uh, currently go all the way up to 19. And mm-hmm. we have in the pipeline um, plans to support apprenticeships as well into um, 
different future career paths because that is something that certainly neurodivergent students are being forgotten in yeah and often just because you don't thrive in a traditional school setting and they can't get the evidence to show that you might be good for whatever apprenticeships are available what we're showing and actually the talent pool I'm trying to recruit from I'm looking for those people who think differently. I'm looking for people who thrive in different settings. Uh, mm. And I think increasingly that is what more and more employers are going to want and need. Yeah, I just, it, it's funny you sort of made me, because something I'm curious about actually is that, as you say, when you're helping young people and children that are neurodivergent and helping them to access education in a way that works for them what then happens when you and the working world has changed as well it, it, it has so but I, I think you raise a really interesting point there on what happens next yeah it's, it's just you can't just be shoved out the door and said right go go and you know figure that next bit of your life out well I would argue that actually we're preparing students more for what the reality of the workplace is now than ever mm -hmm. before. I think that the students who don't learn online are going to be more disadvantaged than those who do. When COVID happened and we all changed the way we were, yeah. you're, at, you're in a co-working space today, I'm at home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we work in a hybrid way. We uh, yeah, sometimes I work in a co-working space, sometimes I'm at home, sometimes I'm upstairs, sometimes I'm literally in the boot of my car while my kids are on the beach and I'm yeah. in a meeting or, or teaching something. Yeah. So that those skills, the ability to use tech and connect wherever you are, um, mm. to establish yourself in lots of different communities in, in different spaces is the way that the world of work actually is it is not it's weird how after covid the workplace has moved on rapidly but school it didn't just go back to how it was i feel in some ways it's gone it's gone back back because uh i don't know just it feels like governments and and people are scared of what is out there so it's go back to something that we knew was all right a very long time ago and how do we get kids back into shape or increase the discipline and increase behavior you know penalties and things like that just seems really really odd uh so i know that when i recruit to expand my team i'm always looking for people who are tech savvy who can change um, and adapt easily, are flexible, can work with anybody, are resilient. And those skills rather than that content, because you don't even, there's no point in even saying, oh, I'm proficient in Microsoft Office and Google Workspace. <laughs> like, <laughs> that is changing so fast. And there's a, you know, the way we're incorporating AI and personalizing our resources, using ChatGPT and and we're learning together and we're pushing ourselves onwards. And very, very quickly, universities and traditional 
institutions are going to find themselves obsolete. Mm. And I think that's when we were preparing for this session, I know um, certainly for some, some, some degree courses in subjects like media or computer science, are, as you say, if, if you're there for four years, well, the world has moved on. It's, mm -hmm. <laughs> you've missed out on, on everything that's been happening concurrent with the materials you have that are based on literature that's out of date. Absolutely. I, I can't even tell you how even in the last six months, the mm. platforms that we were using, that we had invested in, that we built stuff on, yeah. we've had to adapt or really quite actually quickly move away from. It's moving so fast, so quickly. And unless you have retained, which everybody has as a kid, that curiosity and a desire to learn and live and survive yeah it's that bit that gets quashed in schools so that's what we need out of our young people that are coming into the workforce now is just that optimism and the just a curiosity to figure it out or to ask a friend learn together um, everything you ever wanted to know is on the internet. There's a forum, there's a, yeah. there is, there's something, there is a code that it. Yeah. Wow. So what's, um, what's next then? I mean, a global learning platform, take yourself anywhere. It, 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 what, what, what's coming up with Gaia? Where's it going to go? Oh, it's exciting. In fact, where is it going to go? So I just went on a holiday break with my business partner and yeah. we were walking along the beach and looked at our daughters walking ahead of us in the waves and they were holding hands. And yeah. I said to her, I said, I would like to, in the next couple of years, take my kids out of school again and go around the world. And she looked at me and she went, what do you mean? Go Gaia. And, and so we're like, yes, go Gaia. So that yeah. is a, um, a concept I very much would like to uh, realize with my children. Um, I know from my own experience that having lived in different countries uh, when I was younger really changes your attitude and experience of the world. And um I would like to give them that chance to see see the world because very much that is what I always initially out of quite a traumatic, very difficult situation in leaving a, a not good um, marriage. I wanted flexibility. I wanted freedom. I wanted to run away. Mm. Now that um, things are going really well with, uh, with the school and we're growing we're scaling I've uh, hired a, um, a head of learning who starts with us in September and essentially okay. replaces um, that role that I had in yeah. a lot of the day-to-day -day teaching curriculum design and um, managing our um, educators which is allowing me to to see bigger um, opportunities um, but also come right back down to my own well-being. And the reason why I set it up in the first place was so that I wouldn't ever feel trapped 
or squeezed into that <laughs> um, factory machine, whether that's yeah. things that are expected of you, universities, marriages. Yeah. Um, because unless you see somebody else doing those things, you don't think it's possible and you feel like you just have to carry on the way everyone else is carrying on. But I think it only needs a few of us to go, wait, why? Um, yeah. And the the businesses that we are now partnering with and collaborating with have all been set up with that mindset of just what might be possible. And, and I think we only know when we actually get out there and try and try wow it is it's just you know very very inspiring um and as you say you've you've gone worked through some incredible challenges and difficult situations and are building this phenomenal platform where can people find out more uh it would be um great if you visit our website uh, which is www.gaialearning.co.uk that's g-a-i-a gaialearning.co.uk all the information is um is on there uh we still have places for this september and um lots more exciting things to announce in the next couple of weeks um so yeah fantastic well thank you for giving me a little bit of your time today and um i'm sure we'll be back in a year's time to find out at least where in the world you are <laughs> i would love that i'd love to <laughs> to go gaia and go um, gaia <laughs> report back. thank you kirsten thanks for having me